it occurred to me today that it's disappointing we didn't watch ahead because we could have used Hala at Moi either as like our hello or our sign off had we known. You know what? Now that we're in the penultimate episode, uh, there's probably listeners who don't know what pizza toast means. Welcome to Pizza Toast. This is a podcast about the Babysitter's Club Netflix series. My name is Christy Admiral. I'm Phil Gonzalez. And Pizza Toast is a thing that the babysitters do in the books, which we will maybe spoil during this episode, <laughs> as we will not spoil the final episode of the show, which we have not watched yet. We haven't watched uh, it. Nope, haven't watched it. Uh, Pizza Toast is when uh, the babysitters are celebrating their accomplishments and touch the tips of two slices of pizza together instead mm-hmm. of glasses of liquid (laughs) of some kind and i'm thinking now how bizarre it is that they do that because it's not like they're not drinking soda or something at the same time (laughs) no it seems like one of those things that you make up when you're a kid because it is contrived and (laughs) it's not unlike it's not unlike their made-up slang that always lasts all of like two books before they move on oh you mean dibly fresh dibly fresh yes or uh Oh, God, I said something just the other day that happened to use one of their words. Uh, it's not extra because that's an actual slang term that people <laughs> use. But it's something like Oh, I like know that. what you're talking uh, about because it's a superlative. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's, yeah, it's, I don't know. Mitzi pointed it out that I used it and I was like, <laughs> They've leaked into your brain. Fictional slang is one of my hangups. Like, I don't really mind it but i mind it when human beings use it in the real world i i get that there's there's a bit in the final season of crazy ex-girlfriend let's just stay right on topic here where uh, (laughs) the uh the main character wants to be cooler and younger so she starts using the word fizzy and pretending that all the youth say it and then it (laughs) recurs through the rest of the season (laughs) well they 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 did that on community where uh pierce tries to use streets ahead he tries to turn streets ahead into a thing and uh uh, I actually used that the other day and in front of Alana, who we just watched that episode not terribly long ago. And I was like, that's streets ahead. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What? Didn't stick with her at all. <laughs> I feel like there's so many Pierce lines that actually did stick in my head and never left, which is a real bummer. Yeah, he's a horrible person. Talk about when you watch the outtakes from Community and you realize that Chevy Chase just kind of is that way and that they just used that for, to its fullest comedy potential. That's where it gets really uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but also impressive. Dan Harmon was really good at bringing the worst out in people. He still is with the fans of Rick and Morty. Hey, (laughs) this is a topical episode. I mean, this, this episode, this episode has a call out to the Hunger Games series, which I'm like, I don't think these girls, I don't think that's a pop culture thing. Any of these kids would be familiar with at this point. No, they're not the right age, especially the really young ones who all immediately respond to it. Yeah, I was like, oh, this, and again, perfect Babysitter's Club pop cultural reference then, because it's (laughs) nothing that these kids would actually be interested in. When you were pointing out a pop culture reference, I thought you were going to point out the well-behaved women rarely make history quote. Well, that's on enough. That's on enough bumper stickers, uh, I think, in the last uh, few, uh, especially in the last few years that perhaps, uh, and perhaps Dawn inherited her mother's handbag. I can see that. I can see Don borrowing Sharon's things. They have very similar aesthetic. Yep. Uh, if if not very similar uh, personalities. <laughs> yes. So uh, we're talking about part one of the two-part uh, finale, I guess. This is the penultimate episode. Yes. Hello, Camp Moosehead, part one. As we've mentioned, uh, the, the original name of the camp was Camp Mohawk. Yeah. uh, As far as racially insensitive camp names, it could have been much worse. It could have been so much worse. And in the book, even like they kind of bend over backward to explain why it's okay that it's called Camp Mohawk. And it's way too, I mean, not way too early. It's good that they were reckoning with it then. But like culturally, it was quite early for them to be doing that. So the one, the... Uh, material differences, they don't have a tiny teepee sewn into all of the camp clothing, which is a thing in the book. But they do have a ridiculously slapdash-looking cartoon moose on the uh, on the sign leading they into camp. They do, which I like. And they have a camp chant and a camp song. 
just a, a lot of good camp things going on. As someone who never went to camp, but has a child who has attended summer camps for the last few years, th- this this camp doesn't seem to be really into itself. Like it does. No. Uh, so my reaction to this episode is it's largely a confused one. Like yeah. I don't I don't know exactly what they're going for here. Maybe part two will tie it all together, but. We're introduced to the camp director, who I think it's Philomena Means, mm-hmm. who, like they call her Meanie. Yes. In the books, they call her Old Meanie, and she seems to enjoy being a camp director. This woman oh. just seems exhausted. She does seem exhausted. Uh, she seems... I mean, I don't even know. I, she almost... She and the art teacher seem to have stepped out of a Nickelodeon series, almost. The art teacher... I live in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I think I've stated this on the show before because I think some of the girls dress very Brooklyn-y a lot of the time. This is the most Brooklyn stereotype character <laughs> on the show to date. Uh-huh. <laughs> she has giant chunky glasses. She says something about uh, like the complimentary things she says about children's art are just very like esoteric and strange. Yep. And yeah, she's she's very cartoonish. The uh, uh, did you watch Salute Your Shorts, Phil? I, a little after my time. Okay, because the, the uh, camp director is very much like a female version of the camp director on Salute Your Shorts. Ah. Like this kind of like put upon, exhausted, like always getting caught by those rascally campers type. <laughs> yeah, uh, Philomena Means is played by Tammy Sager, who is, most of her credits are she's a writer and she's written for like Amy Schumer. She wrote for How I Met Your Mother, for 30 Rock, like a ton of stuff, like tons of episodes for mm-hmm. girls. I did look her up immediately because I enjoy her performance. I just think yes. it's weird that it's happening in this show. I think what's weird about the, these two adult characters is that so far, all of the adults have been very grounded, very... We get yeah. to we know who they are. They seem they're sympathetic. They are they're they exist within the same reality. This almost feels like the Brady Bunch movie. Where the Babysitters Club is this weird, like almost a- like anachronistic holdover from another time that is now entered like the ironic rough and tumble real world because they keep like saying like we're the Babysitters Club and they're like yes we know you're a bunch <laughs> of babysitters that's great go and do your and and people are kind of fed up none of the other campers seem to ever interact with them. Uh, they're they're just kind of in their own little world here at this like really fictional camp. This is hard for me to say. I find some of the girls a little annoying in this episode. The the babysitter girls. Yes. Yeah, they're uh, some of them are playing their their personality traits that we've grown to get used to, like that cranked up a little bit. Like yeah, I just feel like Christy is the worst possible version of all the things that make her endearing under normal circumstances. And maybe that's what happens when they get cut loose from their own like neighborhood. Like maybe once they're, they're set free, I guess. I mean, that would maybe account for how Marianne is basically a different person in this episode. Yeah, so this this episode also wasn't written or anything by uh, Rachel Schuchert. Yeah, I noticed. uh, It was directed by Academy Award-winning short film director uh, Luke Matheny. Yeah, why Uh, not? (laughs) And I'm like, so they're really getting some, you know, a a wide variety of of people in here. But yeah, it feels a little untethered from the rest of the series. And maybe it's supposed to. Maybe it's supposed to be like... The, you know, the, 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 the facts of life goes to Australia. Yeah, I didn't really think about that, but it is a little bit like the out of step, like, I mean, facts of life being an example. Honestly, Brady Bunch has a few examples. We got the yep. Hawaii episode with Vincent Price for some reason, like that sort of thing. <laughs> for it some does... reason? Because you're in Hawaii and you need Vincent Price. <laughs> he's a, he's a spooky guy as, as is his want. <laughs> <laughs> What a good episode of television. Uh, there's like a tiki god or something. So anyway, yes. the babysitter's yes, club. Yes, there is a tiki god. It just, yeah, there's something that feels weird about it. Every, Although I would say Stacy and Claudia are the characters they are this entire series. I can feel what they're what they're doing like there is a there mm-hmm. is a goal here they are they are setting up this camp as a microcosm of the real world yes uh, so that they can establish and well establish i think the notion of protest and civil liberties and like in order to do that though i think they had to lean a little cartoonish in a lot of aspects yeah 
so because of that, like, Christy, I, it, like, it, the this episode begins with her kind of being super obnoxious right out of the gate and uh, trying to coerce the camp director into letting the girls be counselors in training, which is a position reserved for people 16 and up. Mm-hmm. And because she because she got them to do this apparently as a as a training like a, a work retreat she wanted them to all come to camp yeah as... which I has not been established before <laughs> it is very yeah. strange and it doesn't seem like everybody is on board with that idea uh yeah so they're immediately like sequestered off into different sections of the camp like they're paired up separated except for Marianne who has to uh who has to bunk alone um, yeah which which is what happens in the book. Yeah, and I mean the the girls that Marianne are paired with is paired with in the book are just horrible. But in this case, she's paired with uh, the best character on the show to date, maybe. Yeah, they do acknowledge that Claudia gave up going to Yale. Uh, <laughs> one of my, yeah, one of my notes was Claudia emphasizes her sacrifice immediately. And I was like, I think Christy made some promises to Claudia that she's not going to be able to keep in this episode. Like, oh no 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 no. Like, right off the bat, Claudia's like, I gave up a, a Yale trip to come to this, and so we're not even going to get to hang out together. And I was like, yeah, that was a bad... I, we've yeah. established that was a bad choice, Claudia. Yeah, she's not with Stacy, her best friend, and she's not even with one of her old friends. She is paired up with Dawn, and yeah. Dawn points out they've literally never hung out just the two of them before. Yeah, yeah they pretty much say we've never had a scene together. Yeah. Uh, which I love. and and I But I also, like... Talk about weirdness. Claudia's wearing these obnoxious platform shoes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's kind of what you were talking about. We're like, that's kind of a Claudia thing. But I don't think Claudia would really have worn club shoes to an outdoor. Like, she's no, not and it's, that It's clueless. also inconsistent within the show because they were given these very strict packing lists. Right. And they went over that packing list item by item in a previous episode, which was maybe a mistake for them to do. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> as if this episode was written for people who are just going to watch this episode. Yeah. Uh, people who, who stand for Super Special Number 2, which, yeah. I, I mean, I belong to that group, but I've also watched every episode <laughs> to this point. So they mentioned the CITs, like you said, which is yeah. a major plot point in the book as well. And that's kind of brushed over. Yeah, because um, they are junior CITs, right? right in the book, right. yeah, and um, that just manifests itself in they do get to do the babysitting role. It, whereas here, every time they try to babysit, they're reprimanded for it. Which I think one of the things is this is the first episode that's felt like it has that ironic remove that I was afraid the entire series would have. Yeah, where they're and I'm not against that, especially for like a two part special, but like <laughs> it is that thing where suddenly we have the outsider who's like, You kids need to chill. Like, you're not here to babysit. She says at one point when it's raining, just go inside and watch TV like a normal person. Yeah, she says she says to Christy, camp director says, One day you're gonna look back on your life and regret all the TV you didn't watch, which is a great line. <laughs> it is a great line. I wrote that one down as well. <laughs> This is immediately after Christy has attempted to like wrangle some campers into playing some kind of archery competition. Yes. So yes, yeah, so we get to see. And so what we end up with with Christy is she's just kind of left like twisting in the wind. She's very unmoored in this episode. It's very just yeah. like Christy doesn't really have anything to do when she is not allowed to do the thing she does, which is tell people what to do. Right, and I'm assuming that that's going to come into play in the in the second half because yeah, I'd hope so. Uh, yeah, uh, where it's like like the Marianne plot, I think is the most fun. It also feels weird because this series has given Marianne an interest in theater. Like that is a thing that it added to her character, mm -hmm. and I think it's a fun thing because a lot of shy kids really love theater without actually wanting to be like on the stage. This it for Marianne, this manifests itself in her wanting to be a director of a play uh, at camp. Right, a play that okay. <laughs> this camp doesn't have a theater program. No. That's established right off. It has a theater that's been abandoned, presumably. Okay. All we know going into this episode is that the Babysitter's Club is going to camp together. Seemingly at random moments, characters we've been introduced to in previous episodes will just show up. And they'll be like, oh, Karen. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Karen's here too? Oh, David Michael's here too? Like, But they don't 
really set up that these other people in their lives are going to camp with them. No, because in the the book, it's very clear, like, oh, a lot of our normal clients are going to be attending the camp. Like, there's a big Charlotte Johansson and Becca Ramsey subplot, that sort of thing. Here, they do just kind of waltz in and out. And to be fair, every time Karen waltzes in, it's the best. It's like, it's incredible. But I realized what I'm missing is I'm missing like a two minute scene before the episode begins on the bus. Mm. Have a scene on the bus. The kids from Stony Brook are all there. Pan across the bus just so we can establish who's in our episode. Because what kept happening was Alana's sitting next to me and she's like, wait, who's this? Who is this? (laughs) I don't wait. Is this someone we're supposed to know? Are we supposed to know who this is? And I'm like, yeah, that's Karen. She was the, she was the, she's like, oh, wait, did we know she was here? I'm like, no, they haven't actually established that yet. I guess they're not going to establish that. But yes, I guess she's at the camp with them. Yeah, she's a, she's a camper. Uh, Logan Bruno is a camper. I guess. I, uh, <laughs> David Michael. Um, And then actually some kids we don't know that still kind of become like, part of the action like the the art kid i'm thinking of and for one extraordinarily confusing shot a little boy who looks exactly like david michael but with red hair who's walking with david michael which (laughs) causes us to have to pause the episode and go back because i'm like no no no, that that one's david not that one is that a do you think that's an easter egg do you think that's a radowski (laughs) god i hope so i mean we haven't gotten the radowskis which i've of any family to have left out of the first season, that is the one I'm most disappointed about. So there is no there's no theater program. There is an abandoned theater. And there's not just an abandoned theater. There's a nice abandoned theater with like Oh, it's a light, beautiful. It's a, a light really grid, nice performing space. A stage, a control booth. Apparently it's still wired for power. Whatever. Sure Appar- looks like it, uh, but it, it's haunted by a crazed hermit, so <laughs> It's cursed by a crazed hermit. You're right, got... you're right. Sorry. There, it, it's a curse of a hermit that Karen explains to us. It's a very phantomy story. Yes. Uh, who's, who's cursed the theater because he got sick and tired of listening to people practice their singing there. So we've established there's no theater program, but Marianne wants to start it up. So she gets permission. She wants to mount the first musical she ever saw. Paris Magic. Paris Magic, which is about a woman who time travels. Yep. Uh, which sounds like the most amazing musical I've never seen. It actually, like, the st- when they start staging it, it's, it seems less cool than it did in concept. Also, being a theater person myself, I'm like, where'd they get the scripts? Where'd they get the score? How are yeah. they doing this? It's a lot of I- questions like that. Well, okay, but Lane's dad is a Broadway producer, so I think it's fine. Okay, so Marianne has one friend who she makes, this mystery girl who shows up and is a really good performer and stands out immediately as like, oh my goodness, you're, where'd you come from? You're yeah, where have you actor. been this entire series? <laughs> this, this, this young actor who is uh, completely natural in front of the camera. And <laughs> I, I was just like, as soon as she set foot in the in the camp and she said, I'm from New York. My father's a producer. I was like, uh-oh. And then they kept not saying her name. I was For like... For so long. I was like, oh, this is Lane. This is Lane. Yep, yep. No, I'm glad, like, my favorite moment of the episode was when they finally said Lane's name out loud. So I could be like, aha, I've known. Mm-hmm. I've Mitzi known this got whole time. very excited. She was like, oh my gosh. So. <laughs> I like lane a lot uh as a character in the series because she is a villain this lane is not a villain at all so far like yeah she's just very she's kind of she has that air of snobbery but it's really endearing and she's Mm -hmm. just so fun to watch she says something about how she is also from the upper west side at one point she references west 72nd street thank Mm -hmm. you (laughs) And she, uh, yeah, she signs on to be uh, Marianne's producer after we find out that she saw the original cast of Hamilton three times. And it kind of implies she also saw it when it was in workshop at the public, which is impressive. Yeah, they they do a great job with her because they don't play her at all suspicious or malevolent or anything. She's actually so nice and so mm-hmm. genuine and just wants to be friends with Marianne and put on a good show. And 
it's really I had to go back and because we haven't heard about her in a long time. And when they did mention her, it was really quick and in passing. But mm-hmm. she was the friend, according to Stacy. And as far as Stacy knows, she was Stacy's best friend, but who helped uh, spread the video of Stacy having her diabetic seizure that got Stacy like basically ostracized from school. And it really doesn't seem like Lane was the one responsible. Like I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to prejudge here, but the way they speak at the end of the episode, because they have a confrontation after kind of some stilted interactions before that, it seems like Lane's sin was maybe just more omission than anything else. Like she didn't step in or yes. anything, but I don't think she's the one who disseminated the video. No, and I think that's an interesting twist. When they when they introduced her as having done that, I was like, oh, I guess we're never going to see her because you can't yeah. have that character in the show that's evil. Then they introduced her, and I'm like, huh. And then the way she seems genuinely happy to see Stacy, yeah. I was like, oh, no, someone got their wires cr- Like, someone's wrong. Mm-hmm. And But as you said, her sin was that she didn't stand up for Stacy. Yes. And that she did shut her out of her life because she didn't know how to deal with a friend who had a chronic illness. Which is pretty intense. It is. And we like already there's like a there's a scene where Lane sort of tries to help Stacy, like <laughs> kind of kind of tries to intervene when she thinks Stacy may need to get her sugar up to level, yeah. which is it's a little painful to watch. But it's also like it also lends to, oh, maybe she she is doing her best like she she didn't mean to do anything wrong yeah uh plus since since lane isn't introduced in the book series until they go to new york like we don't Mm -hmm. physically meet this character we only ever interact with her in relation to stacy in the books Mm -hmm. she's stacy's friend she's stacy's old friend she she has a little arc where she becomes friends with the rest of the babysitters club and then that immediately comes crashing down yep. <laughs> uh, in a book and as you said she becomes a bit of a villain she's but... not nice in the books uh like on average in the portrait collection <laughs> deep cut uh there's a really cute story about stacy and lane growing up together like yeah. because they have been their best friends from the jump like from the time they're i think seven or so but right she never gets that much fair do i mean and this is uh this story, as part of this book, and now this episode, is invented a whole cloth. Like, this is nothing to do with. Yeah, and by introducing her as friends with Marianne first, completely not even knowing who Marianne was, that mm-hmm. Marianne knows Stacy, suddenly Lane has a, a, a dimension to her that she's now she now exists separate from Stacy. So... I can't imagine her going down the same path that she goes in the book. No. And you theorize that this actress probably (laughs) auditioned to be a lead because she's so strong on camera and they still have her in this part, which is uh, maybe the most dynamic role there has been for like a, a girl their age since the other, since the original five. Yeah. So she walks in and, and I, I'm like, Okay, I can imagine that she was part of the final call for characters. She may she clearly doesn't fit any of the types they were looking for. Yeah. Like I can't imagine who they would slot her in as. Maybe she was going for Christy, maybe she was going for like the original Marianne if before they changed their concept. I can imagine them auditioning a bunch of different girls and being like, "You're good. We're going to save you for something else." And then bringing her in because she's a very strong actor. She's um, really good. And she's it like it she's captivating to watch like whatever she's in a scene it, it she is the part that i want to see of it <laughs> like when they're running auditions for the show and then when when she's doing her stage management her very professional like standing aside with a clipboard stage management it's yeah. all really good i like the like i like the marianne stuff generally although her character just feels kind of weird to me in this episode and I have seen this actor, uh, Beatrice Kitsos. She was on the uh, the Exorcist TV series. Oh, she, interesting. She played Harper on the Exorcist TV series. Okay, I'm familiar with her. She has a lot of credits. Okay. Uh, and she was on iZombie. She was on iZombie, a recurring character on that. So, okay. Uh, so she she is she is experienced. She's an experienced performer. So they brought in a ringer, I guess. Yes. Is what I'm... <laughs> all, all but yes. But yeah, Marianne's 
different in this. It's almost like she comes into her own a little bit. That's what I like. I I want to say I don't I don't mind it that much. It's mm-hmm. a little jarring, but it's like once she is by herself or like with this new friend and outside of like outside of Stony Brook, basically, she's able to kind of let loose. Yeah, and I think I think it's you get to watch Malia Baker like not once you get to watch her play around in a different venue with different actors, uh, you get to see sides of her. She's more forthright. She's more confident. Mm -hmm. And I almost hate it because I'm like, I don't want to see the babysitters be better (laughs) versions of themselves absent (laughs) the rest of their friends. What is this saying? (laughs) Like uh, I do, but I do like that. She's able to like, she gets to interact with Mallory which is great, yes. like more than she initially did. Mallory and Jesse are both in this episode. Right. Jesse popping yeah. off, get, getting like the first time we see her, she's she's dancing and it's incredible. Okay, so Marianne and Lane decide to mount this production of what's it called again? Paris Magic. What? Paris Magic. I'm Paris sorry, Magic. it's dumb. The, the most time traveling musical we've had so far. And yes. they decide to mount it, which means they have to have auditions. Uh, we get, we get, uh, Karen doing a Hamlet monologue. Which it's is, incredible. It's which so, incredible. so good. We get David Michael pretending to get hit by lightning and getting the quintessential theater quote, which is he just falls on the stage and flops around. And to which, uh, Lane just says, we need boys, <laughs> which is, thank you. If you were a man in the theater in like, especially in small local theater, you have had the experience of someone showing up at your place of business asking you if you want to be in a show. <laughs> if you are a woman in theater, you've never had that experience. It's also that's also very much like a middle high school choir thing. Like, yes. oh, a boy a boy auditioned for the elite group. Can he do literally anything? Can he make a noise? Yep, he's in. Yep. Will he show up? Eh, sort of. Sometimes Maybe. he's got <laughs> soccer. He's in. He's in. <laughs> Uh, yes, the terribly, terribly unfair world of the theater. Yes. Um, hey, <laughs> and then Logan this... auditions. I am so, I have no idea what to make of Logan. He is such a, like a, almost a blank character. He's a cipher. <laughs> There's not a lot going on there. All we know is, I guess, like, this is the kind of thing I obviously can't evaluate. Marianne thinks he's cute, and that's uh-huh. all you need. Yep. And he does not have a Kentucky accent. No, he doesn't. And it's never stated that he was a new kid or anything. Like No, he's just around. Yeah, and he works at the library. He does work at the library with children. It's very adorable. And he uh he likes her. It becomes mm-hmm. clear immediately. Yes. And uh, this is not the first time he is like sought her approval or tried to speak to her in public but apparently he only speaks to her once every few weeks is what i'm gathering from their interactions every once in a while he'll just mysteriously approach her and be like how's everything going (laughs) except he's just so he's so innocuous there is nothing to him so far but we know that he wants to be in the play Mm-hmm. And it's probably because he likes Marianne. <laughs> right. Stacy auditions for it and gets the lead of Paris. Paris Magic. Woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it sort of comes to a head where she and Logan have to have a kiss on stage, which as in any TV show where children are doing theater is like the ultimate like test of their like... Like, I don't know. They're just lie. Like, lie. It's the worst thing that can possibly happen it's in any real... situation. And they almost do it. Like, <laughs> it's the closest I've actually seen them come in, like, a rehearsal space. You need to establish those boundaries before you start running the show. That's, yeah. That is, that, is, that is stage management 101. You establish, we're not doing kissing, we're not doing uh, nudity, and we're not doing fighting. It just, but it's, we... it's very normal to not do those things before. Like, but, the, but they clarify that it's dress rehearsal, so... Eh. Oh, that's right. Uh, that was another thing. We're like, how fast is this moving? Like, so fast. Are, I mean, we've been skipping over some... There's other plots going on, so... Uh... But this one is the most interesting, right? Because, yeah. like, I, I like Don and Claudia, and I like their story. I don't think it's as fun as Marianne's story. No, but it's actually building to something. Uh, yeah. As, as you mentioned, though, Jesse Ramsey shows up at the audition. For some... As, and as I brought up, for some reason, 
she brought her entire ballet gear to a summer camp that doesn't have a theater program, In- including her like her point, like her t- her actual shoes, like her ballet slippers, her point yeah. shoes. Like it's it's crazy, and it is established then that she and Mallory are best friends, which also uh, we are then to presume that Jesse has always been around too. Yeah, and uh, Jesse also was apparently made the choreographer of the of the show. She is uh, she choreo- she's shown choreographing the dance number. That Logan and Marianne kiss at the end. Or Stacey kiss at the end of. Yes. Um, and that why is did very she do tr- that? That is very true as well. Because as we all know from doing local theater, who choreographs the show? The person with any dance experience. <laughs> there, I mean, there are a few things that ring true here, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. And, uh, and this leads us to the, the dress rehearsal night where uh, we get my favorite exchange in the entire episode. It's, it's Mallory and Jesse. And Mallory says, uh, she's like, oh, it's a rough night. Well, you know what they say, bad dress rehearsal, like great opening night. And then Jesse looks at her and just it makes this <laughs> face. And she goes, that's a myth. And it walks <laughs> off. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's really good. <laughs> Jesse is I, I Jesse is used sparingly, but she's perfect. Like it, mm-hmm. like she looks like I wanted this character to look. She and Mallory, I like more in this episode than I liked in the previous one. Mallory, the actor who plays Mallory, uh, Vivian Watson, has this look on her face of constant, constant begging for approval. Yes, that is perfect for the, she. Co- she looks like a lost puppy. That just wants people to like her. And I'm like, that is perfect Mallory. It's top tier Mallory. This is like, it's terrible to go through life relating to Mallory. I'll talk about this as much as I possibly can. Uh, I very much did reading the series as a kid. I can still relate to this, like, please like me attitude Mm -hmm. even now. Like, I'm literally 20 years older than this character. And uh, and we're reading, we just read the book where they did the mini Olympics. Ah, uh, yes. And, That's a fun one. And the school, the school was having its, like, field day, its competition day, and Mallory so didn't want to compete that she decided to fake a twisted ankle and accidentally twisted her ankle. Yes! <laughs> in real life. And I was like, oh, no. Like, up until the horse book... You had always been saying like Mallory's a sad sack, this put upon sad uh-huh. sack, and I was like, I'm, I was like, I'm just, I've never gotten that. The horse book hits, and it's like they just shifted into Mallory sad sack overdrive. In every book, she's like, uh, I guess, and like, oh, now we're reading the, the 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 super special where she like insists on wearing like mosquito netting wherever she goes. Oh yeah, and they all like her. actively dislike her in this book. They're just like. <laughs> You have to walk 10 steps behind us. And she's like, okay. And Jesse like rolls her eyes and is like, I'll walk with you. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it. Uh, uh, yeah, I no, I with it. everyone I... who isn't Jesse in that situation. <laughs> oh, I was going to say I agree with Mallory. I don't want to be outside with mosquitoes either. I, uh, that's also true. This has been a bad summer for them. Just a, but... just a, fun, uh, just a fun thing about me. I, I've gotten a lot of mosquito bites this summer. Yeah. I've yeah. got five mosquito bites on my knees nice. that I got last night. I was wearing jeans. That's how bad the mosquitoes are. They're biting through the jeans. They've also got a crazy number of cicadas in my neighborhood right now. Oh, so do we. So do we. (laughs) Nature is healing. (laughs) Taking over. Yes, Uh, this is more accurate. And we're in a house with no air conditioning, and it's like a heat index of 100 degrees every day here. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, It was like, it was high 90s yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah, this is us just we we've now dege- we were talking about what a sad sack Mallory is and it degenerated into us being two sad sacks. This is a, this is how you know that I identify with her cuz when I cuz when you get to the core of it it's not just the begging for approval it's the innate like oh dear oh dear like droopy dog situation. No, but uh but uh Vivian Watson this is this is her only credit Mallory Pike her only like film or television credit yeah and uh and they 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 picked what well. they really picked well they picked she Mallory is, they got she her she is a great Mallory so yeah so ever, as things go wrong Karen becomes more and more convinced that the evil old hermit has cursed their show and uh Lane tries to give Stacy some blocking and some help as you said she brings up her diabetes this leads to a huge confrontation between the two of them yes uh, that ends up with them running out into the woods Mm-hmm. And Lane trying to stop Stacy and telling her like I am not the one who disseminated that video, uh, and Stacy doesn't believe her. They get into actual like physical tussle, 
and they both fall down. And Stacy rubs her face dramatically as she walks away. Yes. Which is foreshadowing for the moment later in the episode when Christy, in their cabin, thinks she's talking to Stacy. Uh, and and Stacy is there, but not responding to anything Christy say. And Christy looks at her face and screams and says, Oh my god, what happened to your face? And then the episode ends. It is a horror movie moment. It's really funny. I laughed a lot. Because it's dark in the room. You only hear like vague moaning coming from where Stacy is. <laughs> And uh, you expect she's like turned into like something unnatural. It's it's a <laughs> uh, brilliant end to the episode. It is. And okay, so in the book, Stacy gets poison ivy, so I'm like has a poison ivy rash. So I assume it's something along those lines. Oh, I'm sure. But it's a it's a yeah, it's a nice little button to end on. Uh, we should probably talk about what Claudia and Don are doing this entire time. Yeah. So meanwhile. <laughs> Because uh, Christy does nothing in this episode. That's enough. Like, Christy doesn't really do anything. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, she just tries to be a babysitter, which keeps back from Yeah, her soliloquy at the end is a little, like, Marianne is acting like a different person. So they're aware of that. <laughs> the writers yeah. are aware of that. And uh, Christy feels, like, uh, kind of lost, and none of them get to hang out together. That's all we get from Christy. So what's great about Dawn and Claudia is that they end up working. Uh, Claudia wants to do art, so they go to the art building and they start talking. And what you, what I, what I really appreciate about this, Claudia hasn't done much in the last few episodes. She's really had very, very, very little, little to, to say do, or yeah. do. And what we, what I like is that we see that Claudia and Dawn, because they're both a little out there in their personalities, they're both uh, a little counterculture, but in their own way. Uh, Claudia is a little more like art world and Dawn's a little more activism world, but they are, they're both, they, you find out that they have similar mindsets. Just Claudia doesn't have the vocabulary that Dawn does for the way, for the injustices that she sees in the world. Yeah. And what I like about their plot here is that it's like they're, they're really trying to show how, how a person is radicalized by injustice yeah it's it's very i mean okay so dawn in this episode they're not like beating a dead horse with dawn but they are kind of going through the same paces that they have with her so far in a way that i find really amusing and fun she uh does the morning announcements and talks about climate change and uh economic injustice and that sort of thing like works that into the announcements and as she is talking to claudia about these things Claudia is able to like put words to the things that she sees as unfair. And it's good. Like I I the unfairness that they're seeing in a very immediate way is that a lot of the art activities require people to pay additional fees and not everyone can do that, which is actually a little heartbreaking like the little girl realizing that she doesn't have money to tie dye. It's a bummer. Okay, so it's the evil Brooklyn uh, yes. <laughs> counselor who's like, if you want to do the tie-dye, you got to buy a sweatshirt there, or a t-shirt. There's like 30 bucks for a t-shirt, $50 for a sweatshirt. So expensive. And it's a it's an art class of like 13-year-olds and then this one four-year-old. <laughs> I did notice there's a weird age disparity, but the four-year-old is what we need to drum up our sympathy, you know, because she's oh. cute and she's little. She looks like she she looks so much like a young Karen that it's she a does. little distracting. She The first time I watched the episode, I got confused and thought it was Karen for a minute, but then she starts talking about how she doesn't have enough money. I was like, "Oh, it's not Karen." <laughs> I also was like as a parent, I'm like this would have been covered in the this is you pay for this before you send your kid to camp. Yeah. Like you you is you see these charts. like they don't <laughs> They don't hit the kids up for cash. <laughs> Hidden fees. <laughs> well, like, I'm thinking, okay, so I did day camp where some of our activities cost a little more. Yeah. Actually, the ones they mentioned costing more, like horseback riding mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And uh, that was always covered up front. Or, like, things like buying stuff from the canteen. Your parents gave you a budget at the beginning that you were allowed yeah. to use. Like, that sort of thing. It's a little weird. Uh, it's a little <laughs> contrived. But it is a good way it is an effective way to get Don and Claudia working together on something. Yes, because they humiliate this little this little girl gets humiliated in front of everyone for not having the money to buy a fifty dollars sweatshirt. I can't buy a fifty dollars sweatshirt. I don't like. I wouldn't pay fifty dollars for a sweatshirt. No, of course not. <laughs> Certainly not when I was going to tie dye. No, I probably just ruin not. it. 
they get this idea to lead the other campers in secret art secret art projects out in the woods. They're going to use found materials because Claudia knows how to put together art out of anything. So she yeah. leads these campers in an art project, making this beautiful like 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 design on the ground with leaves and flowers and rocks. And then they're like, and then the winds will come and blow it away because this art is meant to be as ephemeral as the tides or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice little lesson. Like it's a, it's, it's actually a good art lesson. Yeah. And what they make is actually really beautiful. Like, and, yeah. And, uh, this seems like a, seems like an, an unnecessary punishment. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn friend. Uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. And, uh, and Meanie. And Which is what show. they call her. Uh, yeah, they find them in the woods. Mm -hmm. And they get upset. And Claudia uh, stands up for what they did. Right. Uh, mystifies Utopia. But that's fine. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Because by that point, uh, Vini has already made the decision that Claudia will be remanded. Which means she is in isolation in her cabin. Right. And uh, she says, you know, like, you're going to be remanded. And we get a, a wonderful Claudia like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, that that's not a, like I had never heard that word before. I I can I can give Claudia this one. And so they're going to uh, uh, shut her up in her cabin without uh, any any like activities or anything. And this begins radicalizing Dawn even further. Mm -hmm. uh, and and this is where Dawn does the three finger Hunger Games. The salute Hunger Games thing, yeah, to the Claudia. Salute. Which, this yeah. is a so this is clearly building to something big in the next episode, right? Right. Yeah. Of course. And I remember Shannon mentioning this in the episode. That yeah. She was on. Yeah. The way they respectfully show Dawn as an activist, mm -hmm. and it reminds me of in a in a sort of like in a small like a, a quick way the way they show Hermione in the Harry Potter books as an activist. Oh, with the the. The House Elf Liberation Front. Right. Speech. Where you get to yeah. see, like, Hermione make all the mistakes an activist makes. Like, a young, yes. a, a young white activist makes when but when doing that. But the problem with that, of course, is that she is attempting to be an activist for another group of people. Mm -hmm. Whereas Dawn is showing, no, there is an injustice going on in our community. And yeah. at first, first I attempted to address it by bringing my grievances to the top. They wouldn't listen. Then I attempted to address it by subverting the rules, uh, by non-violently subverting the rules. Mm -hmm. But that led to an outsized retaliation on the part of those in power. Now I need to radicalize a larger group of people in order to confront injustice head on. Uh, all the while actually discussing it with the people so they understand what has happened they've witnessed what has happened so it's not i'm not just trying to make people drum up people's anger we're actually going to now try to make a change and i think that in this weird episode that's the really cool thing is watching this well thought out radicalization it is and okay so in this in this changing world in these uncertain times i i occasionally attend protests yes. uh, and this is really good organization like what she does is like you said it's really well thought out it shows a natural progression of how radicalized you become when something bad is happening close to you and if you think you can make an actionable difference this is the smart way to do it and she she's going to do something cool i can sense that like something yes. good is going to come of this and it's not going to be reckless or like it's not going to be detrimental to anything it's just going to be good because dawn is apparently smarter than a lot of like grown-ups dawn is just the, <laughs> dawn is the smartest person on this show I yes can't, i still like i marvel at how good this character is because i'm not a huge fan of dawn in the books I think she's a much more reduced character. Well, this one is pretty layered and very smart. And well, what's interesting is that we see Christy trying to be a leader by yes. being, by just being bossy and trying to like basically yell people into, into, into not control, but just the way she, the way she sort of barrels through her babysitter's club meetings, the way she kind of rounds little kids up and what Dawn is showing is that leadership, that's not necessarily what leadership is. Leadership mm -hmm. is uh, 
identifying the needs of of people and helping them solve those problems. And I think that's so in a way, Christy is doing a lot narratively because we're seeing how ineffective her actions are. Yeah. Maybe this is a good episode. <laughs> I never thought it was a bad episode. I thought it was a weird episode. It's a strange one. Uh, I think, it, I don't think, it's it's not one of the better ones of the show so far, but it does have some moments and some elements that I really, really like. That I like, mm-hmm. I'm... I think, I mean, maybe this is an Inventor's Infinity War situation where I can't evaluate the, right. the film um, or the episode unless I see the second half of it. It's also giving me, though, major uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows vibes. Sorry to keep bringing up the uh, the, uh, the the cursed, cursed I, book I, series. I still because... have a tattoo. Like, you, like you'll never... <laughs> You'll hear no argument from me, and I'm not getting that thing lasered off. It was very expensive, <laughs> and it looks cool. The the, uh, the final movie, the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, they divided into two films, as as everyone in the world is aware. And <laughs> when I saw it in the theater, I was like, why couldn't they have done this with all the books? Because now the characters are actually getting to like be the character, like just sort of like enjoy the space they have to be the characters, and take some time to like be in the world whereas so many of the movies always felt like they were just rushing from plot point to plot point and having to oh, skip yeah. over a lot of the characters. This is the movie, this is the episode where I'm like, why couldn't all the episodes have been this long? Because <laughs> this one doesn't yeah. even seem to need to be this long. And I really wish that they could have given this kind of space to, I don't know, Mimi's stroke. Remember <laughs> when that happened? Uh, I mean, we don't like Mimi anymore though. Mimi has guilted Claudia into not being an artist. <laughs> Although she has found a way to be an artist again. That's true. Maybe if she had gone to Yale, she would have just simply been in that stuffy art world. What she is doing is real radical art. It is like radical, art. yes. Yeah. It reminds me of my uh, my theater teacher. The, the head of our theater department in college uh, was, he was a, a very old. And when he was a young man, he went to New York and got a job as a cab driver and was like doing like these quintessential like New York thing. But he started doing theater like in abandoned buildings in like parts of like Ooh. the inner city with like uh like African American youth. And that was like his this is like and this is like back in the seventies, like late sixties, seventies, uh, with like with when it was like radical theater where you were yeah. like trying to like politically motivate people and like use theater as like a as like a uh like a stepping off point into like changing the world and so in a way like and you could go to new york and do theater just i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do broadway and instead (laughs) like it's like no i'm gonna like go into this abandoned building and like do guerrilla theater and that's kind of what claudia is doing it's like i could have gone to yale and played around with trevor sanborn and uh and like drawn tootsie roll pops but instead what i'm doing is i'm like undermining the authority of of the, the meanie the counselor and like attempting to like overthrow like the the oppressive regime of camp moosehead i love it i love so, i like that that's where they took her it's not it is very unlike book claudia in a lot of ways because like in the in the camp mohawk book hmm. claudia's subplot in in that one is that she has a crush on a boy <laughs> yep <laughs> His name is Will. He has an actual mohawk. <laughs> that is part of the part of the story. And the entire thing is that she is smitten with this boy, and everyone, like the campers and her fellow CIT and their counselors, all just try to orchestrate a meeting with this boy. It's cute. Giving her something actual, like something real to do, is exciting. It is. I mean, I, as far as I remember, Camp, Camp Mohawk is just—it's just sort of a fun, like, adventure. Like, yeah. They- they babysit a lot of kids. Dawn gets lost in the woods with her campers. Yeah. Um, lessons are learned. Stacy gets poison ivy. Uh, Mallory and Jesse are bullied. Yeah, there's like, it's it's like a series of vignettes. Yeah, the super specials, uh, one of the things that always sets them apart is that in the super specials, the, camp, the characters are usually all separated in some yes. way. They all have their own thing going on, just so they can... Each chapter can be narrated by a different character, so you find out what's going on with those characters. And so, yeah, the super specials are always like, let's figure out a way to split up our team and mm-hmm. have them all do like as much damage as possible. Yeah, uh, and I do love that about them, but the, I like what this is accomplishing more. No, that's not true. I like what it accomplishes in the books. This is a very different medium. I mm-hmm. like what they do with this. This is yeah. good. 
And they are pretty split up. Like they are. And it's funny is that Marianne is a, ended up being more interactive with the other characters than Chris because even though Christy is paired up with Stacy, Stacy's off with Marianne's team. She is because Stacy's in the show and they have more and the Stacy Marianne pairing is one they're just they're more or less revisiting because like they, they had their entire Sea City adventure. Yeah. Did they not tell Christy about the play? Apparently not. Do you think Christy would want to be in a play though? I would think she'd want to be in charge of something. Yeah, it was just a, like maybe that maybe it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's like we we have a stage manager. We, want- <laughs> we don't need Christy. Uh, I mean, I don't really have like I feel like I I want to table any final thoughts until after the next one. Honestly. Oh, of course. I'm uh, glad I'm- that even though we did not confer on this, I'm glad we both only watched the first part. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, the one note that I um that I meant to make was that Lane dunked on cats immediately. Like that's <laughs> true. It was very funny. I, I critique Andrew Lloyd Webber a fair bit, which is, uh-huh. I don't know why I do like, uh, it's, it's very tired to make fun of him, but uh, this is a, an actual good joke about Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, yes. Marianne explaining the, the crazed hermit and Lane saying that she wouldn't blame him if it was cats that, that drew, drove him mad. Good gag. Good, good goof. Karen is accused of being weird by a curly-haired, red-headed boy. <laughs> and David Michael corrects the red-headed boy by saying that Karen isn't his sister. She's his stepsister. So we also get this... Karen's acting, talking about the hermit, and David Michael refers to her as his stepsister and then walks away from her. So we also have Karen getting hurt by David Michael. That's like a little... She looks really sad about it. Yeah. Plus, like, David Michael's hanging out with his weird redheaded doppelganger. (laughs) This is is not a real character. (laughs) Nope. But, uh, yeah. So... Anyway, uh, that's it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I, I don't really have like a good, elegant uh, like way to tie this up just because we do leave off at this horrific ending. Yeah, what if something's terribly wrong with her face? <laughs> what if she's permanently disfigured? What if like the reason she screamed is because she's covered in ants? <laughs> that's That'd be horrifying. They can't <laughs> even show that if that is the case. <laughs> They just go, they just like veer right into like haunting of Hill House territory in the second half. <laughs> Crossover alert. I'm in. I'm on board. <laughs> Great. Uh, so that's it. Join yeah. us next episode for the final episode of I the Babysitter's so. Club. Wow. <laughs> uh, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.